A good morning to you, Calvary. Rocky Mountain Calvary, good to see you. What a blessing to be here in a church that is so very healthy, where the Word of God is, is being taught. Join me in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke this morning, this Lord's Day. It is a reality that I, while in the role of pastor and caring for the flock of God there in Maine as their senior pastor, and working with drug addicts as well, I do get around and I'm, I'm blessed to be able to speak at so many men's conferences, challenging men to be men. So that has been a theme, and I do make much of the distinctions between men and women, distinctions which are God's doing. God is the one responsible for the differences between us. Men are supposed to be men. There's, there is a concerted effort to neuter men, to, uh, to alter them. And I have been at war with that effort, against it, for the last two and a half decades. And I have made much of the fact that God is the one who divided the one man, that first man, which he made in his own image. He made that man in his own likeness. He formed Adam, according to G Genesis 2-7, from the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Made in the image of God. Everything that we understand as being masculine and feminine, all of that has its source in the image of God imparted to that one man. Everything that you and I on earth would relate to as being of mom and of dad originally was all contained in one person, made in the image of our heavenly father. What God does, I make much of what God does not do. What God did do to make Adam he formed him of the dust of the ground, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. What God does not do in order to make woman is repeat what he did to make man. God does not form her of the dust of the ground and then breathe into her nostrils the breath of life and she become a living soul. He does not do that. Why? Why does not God do such a thing? <laughs> the answer is because she was already there. Eve was already present, but she was in Adam. Adam rightly says, when God makes the presentation to him, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That exclamation, I make much of that because I do believe that Adam was absolutely in awe and overwhelmed in love with the one that God presented to him. But more than that, he was very conscious that she was taken out of him. I believe Adam knows he was altered. That Adam went to sleep one way and woke up another way. That Adam woke up missing some things. Adam woke up different. Adam woke up going, ah, what'd you do to me? And he's not looking for a scar and going, did I lose weight? Am I missing a bone? Wait a minute. No, Adam, I believe instead, Adam woke up and went, mm, ah, wow. Okay. What happened to me? Mm, I want to build 
stuff and conquer things. And I, I feel, what is it? I feel, no, that's it. I don't feel much. Where did that go? And no doubt God said, let me show you. And Adam went, oh, wow. Okay. Having said that, I would submit to you ladies that one of the things you need to know, if you haven't figured this out already, is not just true of that one you have, or that, that one man who is your problem, that it is true of all of us, and you need to know this. Someone needs to tell you, we don't have feelings <laughs> like you do. In the same way, you don't have muscles like we do. We don't have feelings like you. Do we have feelings? But they're little. <laughs> so if you learn nothing else this morning, sisters, you have learned this. And so I say to you, leave that man alone. <laughs> Stop bugging him about feelings. The guy's looking for him, and he's thinking, I'm, bro, something's wrong with me. I don't have him. And, and I'll tell you something else. Is the lie from hell, the modern lie from hell, that men have to get in touch with some feminine side, that was removed in Genesis 2.21. <laughs> men do not have a feminine side to get in touch with until they marry. Surgically removed by our Creator. And the beautiful thing that God has done in doing this, in separating masculinity and femininity, in taking one and tearing that one into two in such a way that those two can become one. And in that union, and in that complementary union, there's a sense in which the likeness of God is best represented. Well, the image of God is in a very real sense restored, where children receive from dad things about God that they cannot get from their mom. And children receive things from their mom about God that they cannot get from their dad. Now, that's a wonderful study. That is frequently in my travels the subject which I elaborate upon. But this morning, I bring it up for this reason. For this reason. I can say, I believe, with biblical authority, and with, uh, I know it's only 57 years of observation, but with that 57 years, I think I can say with authority that under the influence of sin and the curse of sin upon this world, everybody suffers. Everyone gets hurt. But the women hurt more than the men. We men have, uh, I don't know, what I, I would call it an oh well switch. That we can just hit it and go, oh well, oh well. We actually can turn some feelings off. That's how small they actually are. <laughs> and my sisters, I know you do not have an oh well switch. And you feel things much more deeply. And I submit to you that there's a reason why. And I don't think it's uh, an accident. I, I think it is a, a hint from the Holy Spirit who inspires the Word of God that in Genesis chapter 3, when God comes to the scene of Eden 
after our father and mother have sinned and affected us all and infected us all, and God has to lay out to them the consequence of that. Now his design for man is going to guarantee sorrow for man. His design for woman is going to guarantee sorrow for women. But I make much of the fact that God uses the word sorrow once in talking to Adam. And he used the word sorrow twice in our English Bible in talking to Eve. And the reality is that we all get hurt, but you do get hurt more deeply. You have a greater capacity, ladies, to be hurt. That is relevant, I think, to the study that we're going to engage in in the minutes that we have together, but I get to it. That was all introductory. <laughs> Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, an old familiar story, only given to us here by Luke. Hmm. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he relates this exchange. Verse 25, and Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And so the lawyer rightly summarizes two tables of the law two tables of the law. The vertical and the horizontal, just as the cross represents that intersection. Two tables. One table dealing with our duty to God. And it's all summarized if we would just love him supremely. And the other table of the law dealing with our duty toward our fellow man if we would just love our neighbor as ourselves. Verse 28. And he, our Lord Jesus, he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who exactly am I obligated to love as myself? And Jesus answering said, he's going to give him a story to answer the question. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, he looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Set him his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and he gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou 
was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves. And he said, and the lawyer said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Everything the Lord Jesus said to that lawyer, he says to you and I here today, go and do thou likewise. Well, let me, let me suggest to you that while the Lord Jesus says, which of these three was actually neighbor? He's making the point that we determine whose neighbor we are by our actions toward them. It's not a question of who is your neighbor. The Lord is telling the lawyer, the question is, whose neighbor are you? So he says, which of the three? He talks about a priest and a Levite. Two religious men who find a victim and leave him right where he is. And in a very real sense, they wronged that victim as much as the thieves who stripped him, wounded him, and left him. The last thing, the last verb associated with those thieves, they left him. The priest and the Levite likewise left him. I have no doubt in my mind that there are people in this room that at some point in your life you had an expectation that religion would offer you something. But religion only further exploited you. Some of you experienced the trauma as a child of being pushed into a confessional booth to have some man you don't know prying into your sin. How traumatic. And there are worse things that are done in the name of religion. The Lord said, which of the three was neighbor? But those aren't the only characters in the story. First, there is a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Alone. That's when we're vulnerable, isn't it? Alone. The thieves, second characters we're introduced to, they capitalize on his aloneness and victimize him. So there is the victim, there are the villains, then there are, and I mean, when I say villains, not just the thieves, the priest and the Levite with them, and then there is the hero in our story. There's a hero. And all he did was show mercy. There is, however, a fourth character in this story. People don't make very much of. I'd like to do that before dealing with larger issues. There's a fourth character here. There is the victim. There are the villains, and I again include the priest and the Levite with the thieves. And there is a hero, but then there is also a host, an innkeeper. The ancient world did not have hospitals, in case you don't know that. Ancient Israel and the whole Mediterranean region didn't have hospitals, but what they had was hospitality. No hospital but they had hospitality. They had an inn, and an inn is a place where you would have to go. And the host is the one who makes the inn the safe place where there is no further exploitation. A host. In this story, given to us by our Lord Jesus, I do believe 
there is an opportunity for every one of us to go and do likewise, to be the hero. All of us have been victims. We have all been ripped off. We've all been wounded. We've all been, in some sense, stripped, wounded, and left. There's an opportunity for us who were once victims to allow that empathy to motivate us to go and do likewise, to go and show mercy. There's an opportunity for us to come to the people's rescue who have been left. Not only that, I believe in the story, our church is the inn. Our church is the safe place where we can bring people. That we on our journey are collecting those victims, doing what we can, offering what we have, but then bringing them somewhere. Now think of the trust involved in bringing them somewhere. And then trusting them to the care of others. And I maintain that you have such a church right here, Rocky Mountain Calvary's that kind of church with that kind of host, that kind of serious steward. Stewards, plural. You have a pastor here, and you have a pastoral staff, and you have elders here that are serious about the welfare of the flock of God. For that reason, it's a safe place. It's a place where people can come and heal and grow. Now, having made all of those points, there's something more significant that I think we ought to draw our attention to. It is the words of the Lord Jesus at the end of verse 30. Those thieves stripped him, wounded him, and left him, the Lord says, left him half dead. Well, let's explore that expression for a little bit, can we? Left him half dead. There's no way you can put a positive spin on it and go, well, the bottle, well, the the cup is half full. Perspective's everything, right? Well, you can't really say that when you're half dead. Half dead. There's no way to, I don't care if it's Caleb, to be positive and encouraging. It's, you're you're half dead. You're going to be all the way dead. You're going to go from half dead to um, five-eighths dead to three-quarters dead to seven-eighths dead until you're... 100% 100% all the way fully dead. There's a window of time that continues to narrow. A window of time in which someone can actually show mercy and help this guy. Let me ask you, consider for a moment, what are the things that are going to make him all the way dead? What are, what are the things that are going to take our victim from half dead to dead? Well, there's, of course, the, the elements laying there on the side of the road in the Judean wilderness and the Judean desert. It, it'll, it'll scorch him by day, potentially freeze him at night. That's a reality, the possibility of uh, blood loss. If he's, if he's wounded in such a way that he's bleeding. Thirst. Shock. But you know the biggest danger that this man our victim in the story faces is the very threat that is addressed by his rescuer. You know what that is? Infection. It's infection. There are open wounds, and Lord only knows what those who wounded him wounded him with. I'm sure they weren't sterile instruments. 
a victim has experienced a breach somewhere in his flesh. And those wounds are not going to heal by themselves. <laughs> people say some stupid things, and among the stupid things that people say <laughs> are things like, time's a healer. Time is no healer. Time is a killer. Hmm. Maybe that's one of the stupid philosophical positive thoughts expressed by the priest or the Levite from the other side of the road. Hang in here too. Time's a healer. Time heals all wounds. Time will not heal. Time will kill the guy who's half dead. What is done about it? is done by a certain Samaritan. Someone no one expected to help, a Jew on the side of the road, but he came to him. He had compassion. He took action. He inconveniences himself. He costs himself, for he will tear his own garment to make bandages, to bind up the wounds, which, notice it says, he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Why? It would still be nearly, what, 1,900 years before anybody ever understood what caused infection. What is the difference between clean and unclean? All the way from the introduction of sin and death by sin in Eden, all the way till 1863, like, all the way from Adam to Louis Pasteur, nobody knew about microbes. Little tiny animals, so small you can't see them with a naked eye. And those who initially began to suspect that they existed were persecuted out of science. <laughs> People like Joseph Lister, persecuted, ultimately locked up in a mental Institute because he believed in little creatures so small you couldn't see that could invade your body. Joseph Lister, for whom now we, we, we name Listerine, because of his breakthroughs and discovery that if we'll just boil these, heat, heat does something to them. If we can just cook the, the instruments of surgery, we can save lives. Think about all of the history of humanity, from Adam to Louis Pasteur, nobody knows what is infection and what is the invisible killer. But what they did know, and what they had discovered, was that alcohol cleansed wounds better. That's all they knew, is that in cleansing wounds, alcohol, which burns, which stings, did something that water alone didn't do. So would you please consider today, the role of the rescuer is to sting, to sting, to potentially even offend. What is for you and I the oil and wine that we deliver to the victims that we find on our journey? Is it not the Spirit of God, and is it not the Word of God inspired by the Spirit of God? And does it not sting, and isn't it supposed to sting? And to deliver the sting of conviction, the sting of truth, is our mission. What is up with modern thought that we're never supposed to sting anybody? A world full of fragile snowflakes that can't even appreciate the fact that you're talking to them like a man. Or you're talking to them like a woman. 
stinging. And perhaps our victim, initially, feeling the sting, doesn't think he's being loved or helped, but he in fact is for faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the same holy scriptures that bring us the sting of an indictment that we're all sinners and cannot save ourselves. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's none righteous, no, not one. The same holy word that stings also soothes. As did the oil, the very olive oil that he poured into those wounds that he stung. And so it is the gospel follows the sting with solace, the comfort, God's love, God's forgiveness. I believe it is our duty, my fellow Christians, to sting, to soothe, to bind, to bear, and to care, as that man did. We all of us should be on a mission, on a mission to, to take that oil and wine, the blood of our Savior, to deliver it. I think you've got my point, right, this morning? Oh, but I'm not done. There's more. Let's talk about that nasty infection. In this room right now, there are people bearing both wounds and scars. You know the difference, right? Scars are healed. They tell where we've been. Scars are in many ways many ways tougher than the original fabric. Underneath this shirt, I have a massive, ugly zipper from a chainsaw. I came into contact with 60 stitches, jagged wounds, but it's healed. It's tougher fabric. But then there are wounds, unhealed, still very painful, and potentially infected, and it's the infection that slows the healing or prevents it altogether. I want to address that before our time is up this morning. Those wounds and that infection, truly borne by so many, I guarantee in this room this morning, there are brothers and sisters, saved people, loving the Lord, even filled with the Holy Spirit, still, Fighting an infection. And I tell you, that infection is bitterness, unforgiveness. Part of the problem is modern stupid thinking. Modern thought is that forgiveness is a feeling. Oh man, feelings are everything now. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> feelings are everything. Feelings are now in modern thought and even in Christianity given more authority than the very word of the creator. People act like they've got some devotion. They must. They have some allegiance. I have to be real. And I've got to be true to my feelings. <laughs> no, you don't. Your feelings lie and are stupid. You and I need to be true. This is not, it's honestly, it's, you know what I'm talking about. 
in the modern world in which you and I live, science is irrelevant. Biology is irrelevant. All that matters is what a man feels. And if he feels like he's a woman, and that is offensive to womanhood. That is a sin against actual womanhood. But if a man feels, if a boy feels, I feel like I'm a girl trapped in this man's body, then suddenly that's real? That is a false religion, a new state religion. It's a false religion. It disagrees with what is called reality. A man says, I, I feel like. Whoa, that's it? You feel? I feel like I'm in the wrong body. I feel like I'm a, a what? A, fe- a woman? A woman what? Because you're a man's body, but you think you're a woman what? A, a soul? Now we're talking religion. Now you're not. You're confused. Can you imagine somebody? Honestly, you've seen any of those, um, I don't care if it's Waters World or uh, any of those uh, campus interviews asking students in our universities. So if I feel and perceive myself to be a woman, am I a woman? Yes, you are. Okay, if I feel myself to be eight feet tall, am I? And should the NBA want me? And they'll go, well, well n- n- no. <laughs> am I? No, I, I identify, I feel that I'm a giraffe. <laughs> and we would say, you are crazy. You're not a giraffe. Nope, you're not. You're crazy. Let us help you. But it, it's not just those guys. Honestly, it's everybody. And everybody that says, I was wronged, I was hurt, I was wounded. And I want to forgive, but I can't. Because they believe forgiveness is a feeling. I still feel negatively toward this person and what they did. You should. That is separate from forgiveness. I would like to point out to you that every single thing our king taught us on the subject of our enemies. Every single thing he taught us with regard to our duty toward our enemy, everything he taught us was our actions toward our enemy, not our feelings. He didn't address our feelings one time. He addressed our deed. When you see your enemy hungry, what do you do? You feed him. Well, I don't feel like it. I don't care. Feed him. You see your enemy thirsty, give him a drink. I don't feel it. Whatever. Do it. I know the Lord doesn't talk that harsh, but he doesn't ask you about your feelings on the subject. He tells you as your Lord what you're to do. What about those who mistreat you? Pray for them. Pray for them. But I don't feel Do it. Pray for them. What about those who curse you? Bless them. All that our Lord Jesus taught us on the matter of our enemies was action. And I'll tell you why. The just live by faith. They don't live by their feelings. The just shall live by faith. 
And in doing by faith what God tells you to do, you will discover, you will affect your feelings. And they will eventually catch up to you. Please remember this. One of my old pastors when I was young, he told me, you cannot feel your way into right living, but you can live your way into right feeling. But you see, that's where the modern stupid thought goes. Isn't that being a hypocrite? I'm like a hypocrite. No, you're not being a hypocrite. To disobey your wrong feelings and do right actions. I just, but I'm, I'm just, I feel so fake. And in saying all of that, they are saying, I have to be true. My allegiance is to my feelings. Do you hear my contempt? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like you're mocking me. No, I am mocking you. It's not a feeling. Not a feeling, it's a reality. <laughs> I doth mock thee. I continue to say as men, stop starting your sentences with, I feel like, because that's irrelevant. Tell us what you know. And shut up about what you feel. I feel like that's harsh. Oh, no, that's not harsh. Your feelings just lied to you. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like. Let me leave you with a story, if I may. I don't want to run out of time. I had an enemy. I've had many enemies in my lifetime. I had a horrible childhood. I bet some of you did too. Horrible. So it was miserable. It was so very miserable. So very much pain in my childhood. Pain and poverty, suffering, broken heart. And, I, and the misery of it all was such that I was forced to think about life early. Why am I here? Why do I live? What's the point? God used this for good in my life. I was a fatherless boy with nothing but a bunch of sisters and, and a mother off the deep end morally who was just looking for love and I had seen things I had experienced things and I was very very bitter I was full of hate I was so infected that all I a weird kid I sat around sketching my fantasies of one day being big and strong and having enough muscle to choke everybody <laughs> anybody would have looked over my shoulder and seen my drawings would have had me in an institution they were disturbing and they were dark. My only ambitions were vengeance. <laughs> I wish I had time to tell the whole story because the gospel came to me. Jesus Christ, at the age of 13, I opened up his word and met him. He broke my heart. He, I have little feelings. But here's where they leak out. He captured my heart. He, 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 oh, what he, Meeting him, coming to know him and who he is and why he came. I'll never forget the season of life where he called me to let go of my <laughs> dreams. They were all vengeful. To surrender them, answer a call to serve him, to preach his word. I was 13. I destroyed my pictures crazy sketches. <laughs> I let it go. And then I wept. I wept for the next three years. 
Anytime I walked into church, I started hearing songs about him and his love. And I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. I tried, I was like, what is the matter with me? I like losing it. I'd walk into church and just hear praise. I'd start weeping. I cried for three years, and finally, I, I think whatever was the Lord was doing, it got mostly done, and I quit leaking. I answered a call to preach, left high school, got my GED, left high school to go work with drug addicts and get trained. I was on staff, hired in ministry when I was 17, working with grown men. I had a big, deep voice, and I, I, uh, I hid behind it a lot, and I preached and ran work crews, and I bunked with outlaws. And, man, it was, it was a great time in my life. 16 till I was 20. Living with drug addicts and drunks. And watching what the Word of God did. God called me back to Maine. Go back to Maine, the state where I'm from. Yeah, I know He called me there to take responsibility for those people. You know what happened? I met a California girl. It took me four days to talk her into marrying me. And, uh, <laughs> I started talking the day I met her. I don't know why she was so slow. Uh, but, but, and I, but here's the deal. I also knew I had to get her in this before she got to know me or the whole thing would be ruined. <laughs> and she married me. She was a single mom, a nurse, Southern California gal. And uh, she had an ex-husband. He became my enemy the day I heard of him. He was a bully. He was a he was a bad man. He and he abused her. He had put guns to her head, threatening if she left him, she'd never live. He abused her. He betrayed her. Broke her heart. He just threw her away. Now she's mine. I married her, and he's my enemy. I hadn't even laid eyes on him yet. Needless to say, once I laid eyes on him. He was more my enemy. The day came. I, I got her out of California. I brought her to Maine. She and her little boy. Starting a new life there. <laughs> we had a daughter together. About that time that little daughter was born. That man, my enemy, attempted to frame me for a crime involving his, his, uh, his, my stepson, his child. He actually got his own son off a plane and drugged him and then hired makeup artists from one of the studios to come in and paint bruises all over this kid. They looked real, all over his back and backside. It'd break your heart, a little nine-year-old boy, to see those photos. Those photos affected the heart of a judge in a civil court in custody, and then it initiated a criminal investigation of this young preacher. I'm paying the bills on the end of a chainsaw and find out I have to fly to California to answer to this. I was being framed. And he went to great lengths. He hired doctors to write out phony medical reports. He went to great lengths. It was like a really bad TV movie, honestly. My frustration was great. I got her out of there. You know, I got out of California, but I, I, I can't free her from him. My only option, as I saw it at 24, was to borrow money, buy a one-way ticket, find him, 
and kill him. That was my plan. I'll kill him. She'll be free. I'll do my time. That'll be me loving my wife as Christ has loved the church. I submitted this plan to God. (laughs) And he says, no. He shot the whole thing down like it was ridiculous. He said to me, you leave that to me. He spoke to me from his word. He that digs a pit will fall into it. He that rolls a stone will have a roll on him. And he, he spoke to me from Proverbs. A false witness will not go unpunished. I had his word on it. <laughs> Long story short, that guy went to jail for what he attempted. And we went to Disneyland. And he paid for that trip. It was, it was nothing less than miraculous. He was miraculous deliverance. Man, the Lord moved upon a woman that we don't even know. She heard him bragging and tape recorded it. The tape made its way all the way from San Diego up to Ventura County Courthouse on a judge's bench under a gooseneck microphone and play was punched. And that guy's voice was heard all through the courthouse boasting of his genius what he had done to us. It was like a vision of judgment day because the son of God said judgment day is going to be like that. Your own words will condemn you or your own words will acquit you. (laughs) Well, as I said, he went to jail. That's not where the story ends. He still has a biological son in my house and I have still got business with him. The day would come when he'd be out of jail And now having to come all the way to Maine for supervised visits. And the day would come that I've got to stand in front of him again and not kill him. And I still very much want to kill him. I want to kill him. It was a Sunday morning of all things. Sunday morning. I'm on my way to go handle the word of God. And I'm going to stop by the Penobscot Inn to meet that guy in the lobby. First time since the courthouse, right? Time had passed, but the wounds, the rage, it hadn't, it hadn't even gone into a smolder. It was, it was burning full throttle. I stood face to face with him. And loving my enemy that day, and I mean this, by faith, the most I could do is not hurt him. The most I could do is not hurt him, but extend to him an opportunity. And with a trembling finger, I said, Tom... Don't mess with me. Don't mess with my family. And I, and I left the, you know, or, or else blank. The best I could do was that. I'm giving you an opportunity. He took that opportunity. It was a good visit. He behaved himself. He didn't play any games. And when it was done, I put out a hand to shake his hand. And I didn't yank him over and put him into a rear naked choke with my lumberjack arm. I, I honestly, loving my enemy... That day, the most I could do, and the Lord accepted what I had to offer. The most I could do was extend a hand. But over time, I would extend a hand, and then we would talk. And over time, praying for him out loud, obeying the Lord and praying for him, things changed. I don't know that Tom ever changed, but I know that my relationship with him changed, and I can tell you this. Before cancer took him, and this was only a few years ago, That man 
was my friend. And to this day, I can speak of that man, Tom Haggerty, as my friend. He died my friend and a friend to my family. A very regretful, very remorseful man for the choices he had made many years back. A kind of friend. I'm talking about the kind of friend. Tom was the kind of friend that calls me up and goes, Hey, Ken, I bought you a brand new Glock 45. All you got to do is go pick it up down at your uh, Van Raymond Outfitters. It's all set. I'm like, Tom, what? (laughs) What a gesture of friendship. And And I'm telling you, nothing says friend like a Glock. (laughs) I wear that Glock at home every Lord's Day. It is the Glock for the flock. I am, I, I will, this is one pastor that cares for the flock of God. Full service pastor here. I, and uh, I'm not kidding. Every time I see that Glock, and it's almost, it's like daily. I think of my friend. The, the, the poison of bitterness, which would have restricted God's being able to use me, the, the very poison that would have stunted my growth, the very poison that would have affected every relationship in my life was cleansed out by the sting of conviction and obedience to the word. My message to you this Lord's Day, my brothers and especially my sisters, whose wounds are even deeper, stop obeying your feelings and stop thinking that those negative feelings are you not forgiving. Do what the Lord has commanded you to do. You know what a blessing is, in case you don't know? America, guys, we've lost it. We go, "Um, God bless you. God bless you. And we think that's a blessing. That's not a blessing. A blessing is expressing out loud the good that you hope happens, the good that you want to see happen to somebody. A curse is just the opposite. (laughs) A curse is all the worst, I hope. By the way, all you moms, stop saying to your kids, I hope you have one just like you. (laughs) That's a curse (laughs) that actually works. But when you can actually come up with something really horrible and, and in the, you know, the, the, in the East, they're great at coming up with curses. <laughs> I hope you, you know, a few weeks ago, I had my very first experience with bed bugs. At some church camp somewhere, I'm talking to men in Minnesota, and I, I had no idea I slept on a bed bug platter. I got a new curse that I can't use because I'm told to bless and curse not. <laughs> but if I had a, oh, I'd like, I, I, may your long johns be infested with bed bugs. <laughs> That's a curse. Just do what the Lord says. Stop obeying your feelings. Stop thinking your feelings are right and God is wrong. I say to you as your brother, pray out loud for the one who hurt you. Pray out loud for them and pray good for them. What they did is wrong. It's right that you should still have negative feelings about what they did. I'm telling you again, what is the difference between a wound and a scar? Scar tells you where you've been, but it doesn't hurt. 
A wound. You know it's a wound because it still hurts. And there's still signs of infection. Cleanse it with the Holy Spirit. The Son of God taught us to pray every single day. He gives a model for prayer. And in that model for prayer, we are told as we are to pray for daily bread, we are to pray for everyone that has wronged us. We are told that we are to, to actually say, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Let me close this service with this invitation. In this room, there are people who would acknowledge they have wounds, not just scars, there are wounds. And you know they need to be cleansed. They, you need to be stung. Perhaps you've been stung already this morning. Would you let us pray for you, for your healing? Yeah, your healing may not be instant, but you begin healing. Would you please, if that's you, if you have wounds, you know need to be cleansed, stand and let the rest of us pray for you. Stand right now. Wounds. And they are deep. There are people you know you need to forgive. You know you need to forgive them. You want prayer that God would help you. That you could just do what he says. That you could just disobey your feelings and do what the Lord said. Okay, family of God, look around. Let me ask you one more time. Does anybody want to join them? Anybody else say, yeah, me too. All right, let me just get real. I am, I am full of infection. Bitterness is hurting me. Family of God, look around those that are near you who are standing. And let's all stand with them. And let's get around them. And lay a gentle hand on their shoulder and let them know that they are part of the family of God. And let us put our hearts together in agreement. You may pray in the Spirit, pray quietly, but let me, let me lead that prayer, if you would. Father, you see those who have stood and you know their story. In fact, you know their story better than they do. You were there. You've seen it. You know the wrong that was done. And you know how it has affected their whole life. You see those wounds and you desire to heal them. They have remained unhealed because of bitterness, because of the infection. I pray, Lord, allow the wine of your spirit to cleanse, even if it burns. Soothe with the oil of your spirit those wounds and heal them. And pray, Father, for everyone who has stood that you would give them the grace and the faith to do what you've said, to do what you have commanded us to do toward those who have wronged us. Give them the strength to pray for them and to pray good for them, to pray out loud for them. Give them, Lord, the faith to just obey your word and reap the benefit, the healing, the freedom May those wounds become scars that testify where they've been and that they are healed. Help us to be brothers and sisters to these who have stood today. Help them every way we can. Help them to continue to pray for them as they come to mind. Oh, we pray all of this in the holy name of Christ, our King. Amen.